Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined as always by Eric Kane. Here with you on a Monday afternoon after Tennessee sweeps Missouri, Tennessee 12 0 in SEC play to start conference play. The first SEC baseball team all time to start 12 0. Pretty significant. Pretty significant. It was also Tennessee's fourth straight sweep to start the season, seventh sweep. Overall, uh, again, obviously, if they're 12-0, that's 12 conference wins, which 12 <laughs> conference games uh, and, and your first 12 tries when you won 12 conference conference games total in year one back in 2018 or, or 17 uh, in Tony Vitello's first season is, is pretty remarkable, Eric. So the baseball wasn't always pretty at times, but the the list of accolades and accomplishments just continue to grow as Tennessee is the unanimous number one team in the country for a third straight week. Yeah, it's monumental. Um, you know what the Tennessee baseball team continues to do. It's almost like uh, you know checking this box of you know new program record, checking this box of first time since 1995 or 05 or. Whenever the case may be, I mean, this Tennessee baseball team, it it has arrived. It has 100 percent arrived and it is here. And as you pointed out, it's been the number one team in the country for four weeks, three weeks unanimous. And um, they're a whole lot of fun to watch right now. And this weekend was big. And of course, we'll get into it. But, you know, they're finding different ways to win ball games Now, Missouri tested them every single game. It was good to see Tennessee prevail uh, in, in a series like this, but in each individual game uh, with, with the way they won them. Going a little big picture, how, how much would you wager that Tony Vitello sustains this long-term? When we look up 10, 15 years from now, when you join me with not having any hair, uh, we both have multiple kids. You'll be married. Uh, we'll, we'll just be old. How, how much are you willing to wager here in 10, 15, 20 years that Tony Vitello has truly built something that is like what Tim Corbin has built at Vanderbilt, what Dave, Dave Van Horn has built at Arkansas, Mike Bianco at, at Ole Miss. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Kevin O'Sullivan at Florida. Uh, the these stadiums that you see around the SEC, particularly those three that I started with, Vandy, Arkansas, Ole Miss, they they weren't always SEC baseball powers. They they had to get going like Tennessee has had to get going under Tony Vitello. And I, I realize that Rod Del Monaco had a, a great deal of success, but I I would be willing to wager quite a bit that for the next 10, 15, 20 years and Maybe from from that point on, the rest of SEC baseball history that folks are going to care about about SEC baseball around these parts. Yep, I think so too. And I mean, two things you got to look for in a coach to have sustained success. And can you recruit? Uh, your buddy Jason Swain called Tony Vitello the the best recruiter in the country, regardless of any sport. That was last week. And can you recruit? And can you develop? And Tony Vitello is one hundred percent shown that while here at Tennessee, he can do both and at a very high level. And, you know, Frank Anderson has been there with him, you know, for, 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 uh, for a lot of this and has, has been, you know, just as instrumental uh, in, in certain aspects of it. So, that, you know, that, that's big. 
Uh, but in the era of college athletics with name, image, and likeness, with the transfer portal, though we're just now into that new barrier, barrier really, of college athletics, that's another wrinkle you got to throw in there. Uh, can you weather the storm of players leaving, of you know, w- wanting, you know, wanting to seek out more name, image, and likeness revenue, all that type of stuff? Um, that, that'll play a big part into it as well. But if you can recruit and if you can develop, then you can sustain success anywhere. And Tony Vitello has proven that so far in five years. And, you know, I, I, I would I would bet that Tennessee baseball, as long as Tony Vitello is here, is going to be successful for sure. Now, yeah, I, th- does that mean it's going to go to Omaha every single year? No, I mean, it's baseball, right? I mean, it, it has a way of humbling yourself for sure. But sustained success is a program for sure with Tony Vitello. And I think even – after Tony Vitello, like like if he goes on to have one of these careers that other SEC coaches have had, I I, I think even the next coach will have high expectations, and uh, I, I would hate to be the guy that replaces Tony Vitello at this point, but uh, I, I think that Tony Vitello is going to build it into something when you look at the stadium and the resources that the next coach and coaches after that will have. I, I think it's something that that's really going to stick around for decades I, I know that sounds <laughs> pretty significant in, in the moment saying it but I, I truly believe that to me he kind of feels like Dabo Sweeney uh, of college baseball and this is Dabo Sweeney pre-national championships we'll, we'll see if Tony Vitello can can claim a natty here in the next couple of years and and really be the baseball version uh, of a Dabo but if it, it feels like kind of how Dabo wasn't until he won one with Trevor Lawrence. Like he was on the cusp of, of winning a national championship. And, and this is where I'm really getting into the Dabo comparison is uh, to what you were speaking about in terms of looking 10 years down the road, when it comes to Tony Vitello, the biggest thing for him will be how will he evolve as a head coach, as the sport evolves. Dabo has not really, evolved all that well in my opinion and i i think you're going to see a a dip off in production uh there for clemson because Dabo's kind of stuck in his old school ways uh tony's not going to be able to do that and i don't think tony would uh do that tony is very smart uh i I believe he was one of the the smartest in his class and in high school uh don't don't let the silliness and the jokes uh fool you uh he, he is very smart uh, so I, I would be surprised if he did not adjust with the times, but that would be the big, biggest thing for Tony that at some point you're going to have to replace Frank Anderson. I, I don't know exactly how old Frank Anderson is, um, but I don't think people realize just how big Frank Anderson plays a part in Tennessee's success. It, it's not just simply developing pitchers. I mean, in, in a way, and Tony has said this publicly numerous times, in a way, he's kind of been the head coach and and made decisions and pointed Tony in the right direction. And he he has a lot of say uh, in terms of the, the pitchers that are being brought in, which is obviously the case with any pitching coach. But uh, I, I don't know the exact autonomy that, that he has, but he he, I would imagine, 60 to 70 percent of pitching decisions in game uh, are made by Frank Anderson. Of, of course, Tony has the final say, but he, I mean, even yesterday, Tony was talking about Will Mabry. I, I think it was no, it was it was Drew Beam. I'm sorry. Uh, but after Sunday's game against Missouri, Tony said that Frank saw something in him, believed in him. And I just had to trust him. 
so I think that tells you all you need to know about how important Frank Anderson is. So Tony will have to evolve with the sport. Uh, he'll have to <laughs> learn to live and be successful without Frank Anderson, which will be a huge task one day. But I'm with you, Kane. I, I would wager a lot that that Tennessee baseball is is here to stay. And honestly, now we have a, a three-year sample size of great Tennessee baseball teams. That 2020 team, that was an Omaha team. Last year, you get to Omaha. This year, you're, you're probably going to get to Omaha again, barring significant injuries or just an unfortunate end to your season. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and it's kind of funny, too. I was doing this earlier this week, but or I guess earlier today, it's Monday. Um, when you compare this team to the 2019 team, um, or I guess the 2020 team, excuse me, the one that got cut short because of COVID, an, an incredible um, – did they lose one game or were they undefeated? Because I know conference play was just about to start. They had lost one game. Okay. Oh, um, I think it was three. I think it was three games that they had lost. They, they, they were like 15 and two, 15 and three, something like that. That was a really, really good team. And this team is so much more stacked, if you will, compared to that team. And so um, it's, it's just interesting to think about how, just how well-rounded this baseball team is. So, um, they're fun to watch. Again, I mentioned this weekend I thought it was huge because you and I have been what you and I have been waiting uh, for some adversity to hit. And yeah, sure. I mean, you had it when you went against Texas and Houston. Sure, you've fallen behind a couple of times. It had been over, I want to say a month before Friday when you fell behind. But um, each individual pitchers, you know, hit some adversity a little bit. But Chase Burns, you know, hit hit a lot of adversity on Friday night. And how Tennessee bounced back and showed they can come from behind and win, that was huge. You know, Saturday as well, Sunday holding things off. Um, you know, this is this this is huge. And you know, baseball, it's so long, it's so tough, it's such a grind. You got to mix up your different formats in the postseason, even to get to home all. Anything can happen. But something we talked about last week, like it, at this point, it would be a it would be a disappointment if you did not get back to Omaha. But I I expect this team to do just that. Yeah, and I would take it a step further and am willing to say that. It'll be a disappointment if you don't win a game in Omaha. Yeah, you got to uh, win a game now. Good second yeah. trip back, and yes, you're better than you were last year. So yes, look, I'm I'm not going to say like if they were to make it to the final in Omaha and they they lose the the series that it's a failure or a disappointment. Yes, it would be disappointing, but I, I'm not going to label the the season a disappointment because they didn't win the national championship. I I, I would not do that. Uh, but if they were to get to Omaha and not win a game, maybe even winning one game isn't enough uh, when we look at things on April 11th. We'll, we'll adjust as we go, but I, I think you've got to get to Omaha and, and do some damage to really vindicate what they've done to this point, uh, quite frankly. But I agree with you, Kane. Uh, this weekend was important because of Omaha. They they play 60 games, and – I don't know the exact number, but SEC tournament, regional, super regional. Uh, maybe you can pull up the, the record of last year's team and uh, tally up how many games they played last year. But I, I would I would think that it's a it's going to be about 75 or so games that, that they will end up playing, if not a couple more. And you're not going to do what Tennessee has done to this point, game in, game out. You, you are going to face adversity, and this weekend was really the, the first weekend Tennessee has faced adversity since the Texas game. I mean, they're 
their their streak of innings that they led for was was just absolutely silly. I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it, it was like 125 innings that Tennessee went without trailing, and it was 118 full innings in which they did not trail. That does not happen. So uh, they they weren't going to continue to do that for the rest of the season. And, and I don't know that it was a great deal of adversity going down 2 nothing in the first inning, back-to-back days. I mean, that's not huge adversity. There's so to much me, time is left, yeah. Yes, yes. To me, adversity will be when when they drop a series. And, and like, even then, like, is it really <laughs> – is it really adversity? I mean, you're not going to – I know Arkansas won every um, series last year, and they had a disappointing end. Uh, so so maybe losing a series will be legitimate adversity. But, like, if they were to lose to Alabama this weekend and then lose to Florida next weekend in Gainesville, to me that would be true adversity. But even still, aside from that, it was nice to see them get a dose of adversity thrown into their face because – Again, it's just not going to be all sunshine and roses the rest of the season. And and if you are going to win a national championship, which is the objective, a realistic goal for this team, you have to to have some some scars uh, on on your body, on your resume, uh, some some reference points that if if things get tough. Uh, in the regional or super regional, you can point back to and say, okay, we handled this situation. Let's go handle it again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And looking back on last year's schedule, Tennessee was 50 and 18 overall. So that's 68 games. So that, that's what about a little over 60 regular season games. And then you got the SEC tournament, you got regionals, you got super regionals. Then you had two games in Omaha. So uh, 50 and 18 was the uh, was the overall record for Tennessee last year. <laughs> 20 and 10 conference record. Tennessee's already 12 and 0. That's just wild to me. Uh, but no, you're exactly right. Again, you know, it, there's there's minimal adversity. Yeah, I mean, you know, going behind 2-0 in the first inning and and falling behind via the same guy that hits the same home run, you know, Friday and Saturday night. That's something for sure. But there's so much time left, and you know, what's it going to look like? And what, what's the perception going to look like too? I mean, Tennessee fans. And I talk with this on. Um, uh, with, with with Jay Martin Ramon on 104.5 The Zone um, on Monday, you know, Tennessee fans are so excited and, and are just so hungry for a win or so hungry for a national championship, football, baseball, or football, basketball, whatever, that if Tennessee doesn't win a national championship or if Tennessee does lose a series, you know, what's the reaction going to be? Because we've become so accustomed to winning and winning at the style and everything. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what that looks like and everything. So, I'm with you. I no, I don't want Tennessee to lose a series, but if you do lose a series in the regular season, that's not the end of the world. It's okay. You learn lessons. Those losses teach you things, you know, moving forward. So um, I'm intrigued to you know, see how this all plays out. I, I, again, I would have never, I would have never predicted Tennessee to win every single series in SEC play. I would have never predicted Tennessee to go undefeated in SEC play. I'm still not going to predict, predict Tennessee to do all that stuff. Um, you know, when it happens and where it happens, who knows? But uh, I, I think that it probably will, and that's okay. Uh, but it hadn't happened yet, and uh, Tennessee's breaking records, and that's a whole lot of fun too. Looking a little more in-depth to the weekend, I, I think the, the first talking point is Chase Burns and Chase Dolander. Uh, the, the, the starts that they had started to pile up did not exactly exist this weekend. Chase Dolander – 
a much different outcome than Chase Burns. So we will start with Chase Burns. Eric, I I, I just thought it was kind of a mixture of, of he was due as a true freshman and crappy weather. I mean, the weather was absolutely miserable. And Tony Vitello told me that he or not told me, but told us the media after the game. Uh, that he did not have a good feel for things. And I interpreted that as he didn't handle the weather all that well, which is odd because, I mean, he's pitched the past two months and has made some outings uh, in not so great weather. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect every single time. So Chase Burns was was not good. Uh, He walked four. He gave up two runs, only lasted 2.2 innings. Uh, his shortest outing of the season. And and simply put, I mean, he just did not have it. He struggled with command, uh, was leaving a lot of pitches over the middle of the plate, and Mizzou was was absolutely hammering them. And uh, he, he did limit it to two runs, which allowed the team to come back. But still, uh, to me, I'm not reading too much into it. Chase Burns will be fine. I'm sure he'll come back this Friday against Alabama and pitch an absolute gym. He was just due. That's part of baseball, and baseball happens. Listen, my guy Max Free got touched up the other night by the Cincinnati Reds. I ain't worried about it, all right? I ain't worried about it. Chase Burns is a freshman, a true freshman, starting big-time games on Friday nights at the Power 5 level in the Southeastern Conference. The fact that this hasn't happened yet is shocking to me. I'm with you. I'm not looking too far into it. Big thing, too, was um, 64 pitches is all we threw. And, um, you know, that it could could have went 100 pitches, right? 64 pitches. It's it's almost like he's going to maybe get a little bit more refreshed, if you will. Tony Vitello was talking with John Wilkerson about that prior uh, to game number two on the leadoff man and saying, well, hey, it's you went through 60 pitches. That's that, that's kind of a blessing in disguise, right? Time to reset and everything. And um, you're right. Just didn't have the command. Four walks and only two and two thirds is not good. Got touched up, of course, the home run in the first inning. Um, you know, I, again, I'm shocked it hasn't happened yet. So. I'm not worried about it, but something that Tony Vitello also said was how he responds is going to be critical. Is he going to sit around and mope about it? Is he going to be engaged the rest of the series? I, I wasn't in that dugout. I, I, I don't know you know, how he was, but how was he going to respond to this? Because that will be telling for when the next time he gets on the mound, and that's coming up here on Friday. Yeah, and I, I do agree with the pitch count uh, conversation that you mentioned uh, and that Tony Vitello was pointing out. I mean, he threw – 106 at Ole Miss two weeks ago. He threw 88 against Vanderbilt last Friday, and then he comes back and has to pitch in in poor weather. Just uh, several circumstances setting up for him to have just one of those freshman-type games. And it's not even really just a freshman thing. Baseball is a game of failure. It's a baseball thing. (laughs) Yes. You're going to fail far more than you succeed. Uh, Drew Beam, he is going to have – a similar outing at some point. Redmond Walsh is going to have a bad outing. Will Mabry is going to have a bad outing. Sean Hundley last year had bad outings. Chad Dallas had bad outings. It happens. It's baseball. Every single person in Tennessee's lineup this year has had bad games. Chase Burns is going to be perfectly Cannon fine. Sewell's had a couple this year. so Yes. Yes, he has. Um, Chase Dolander, on the other hand, did struggle early, but managed to persevere and uh, work out of those struggles. And, and his struggles were the same thing, the same issue, and that was command. He, he just did not have a feel for it. He was leaving pitches 
over the middle of the plate. That's why Missouri hit back-to-back home runs in the first inning. But credit to him, he he gutted it out, he gritted it out. And as Tony Vitello said after the game on Saturday, when you look back on it, that's probably going to be Chase Dolander's best uh, performance just with, with how he gutted it out. And if you don't want to use the word best because he did struggle early uh, and, and he's already delivered two master, masterful performances against uh, Ole Miss and Vandy, I understand that. But it, it's definitely the the start that is maybe the most impressive so far because he still struck out 10, still leads the SEC in strikeouts, and he did that while struggling the first two to three innings. And you were thinking the whole time, like, oh, Lord, here we go again. Chase Dolander is doing what Chase Burns did. And then he just completely figured it out and retired the final 10 that he faced. You were seeing why he is one of the premier draft prospects in the country. Yeah, it's funny, too, because you look at his line and part of it looks really, really good. Um, you know, as you mentioned, retired his last 10, 100 pitches, uh, 10 strikeouts, no walks. Okay. The first half of that line, six and two thirds, seven hits, eh, four runs, and just six and two thirds. But again, it's, it's what you said. It's how you respond. Give up two off back to back in the first inning, throw up a, a zero in the second. And then, you know, Missouri just playing, just playing baseball in the third, a couple of singles, you know, ground ball or sacrifice fly moves the runner over, then an RBI single scores one, sack fly, you know, whatever the case may be. And then from there, you're just phenomenal. And, you know, sit, retire 10 in a row before you head out. Uh, and again, didn't kill yourself either. You know, through 100 pitches, that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's up there for sure. That is a start, but that's not 115. I doubt Tony would have left him in for that long either. But um, that, that was really, really good uh, against a team that uh, you had to battle. You, you really, really had to battle with. And how you responded, how you faced that adversity and moved on, uh, that was that was key. You know, the command wasn't great for him, I would agree. I, I thought he was off, but I think it's still a bit they didn't walk anybody too, right? I mean, that that's, you know, 10 strikeouts, no walks. That's that's huge for Chase Dolander, the SEC leader in punch outs. And here's the other thing that needs to be mentioned. You have to tip your hat to Missouri. That that Missouri team is is not as bad as the the last couple of Missouri teams. Now we said we said on Thursday we just kept calling them pesky, right? I mean, I, I felt that was super accurate. I mean, they were pesky as hell. Like they they just wouldn't go away and they they would they would jump up first and you know they a couple of games went back and forth. I mean that I'm, I'm with you, man. Credit Missouri for sure. Yeah and, and look they're not a good team but they're they're not as bad as the last couple of Missouri teams that we have seen. And they're, they're not as bad as their record indicates. They're, they're top half of the lineup. They're, they're top five guys can really hit Josh Day, the, the shortstop Trevor Austin, their left fielder. We all know what third baseman Luke Mann did this weekend. First baseman Torn Montgomery and then uh, the DH uh, Fox Liam. Uh, and also their, their catchers or catchers, Lord, uh, their catchers, Mike Coletta. Uh, and Trey Morris, they they also did some damage. So the bottom half of, of that Missouri lineup didn't do a ton, uh, but the top half of that lineup was was, was really good, and they're, they're good enough to the point you can't leave pitches over the middle of the plate. Yes, Chase Dolan did not, did not give up any walks, but his command still wasn't great because he was leaving a bunch of pitches over the middle of the plate, and those Missouri, Missouri hitters who are good hitters took advantage of it, and absolutely crushed him for it. Chase Burns, the same issue. And what was the difference with Drew Beam? He didn't have superior stuff to, <laughs> to Burns or Dolander. 
he was just he had better command. He he was spotting Location. up better. Yep, exactly. And and Missouri uh, was not able to to tee off on him. Also, in terms of the close game aspect uh, throughout the weekend, each game was very close. Although at times it felt like Tennessee was up by quite a bit, and I, I know Tennessee went on to win eight to three on Friday, eleven to four on Saturday. Two two reasons for that. Uh, a the reason that that Tennessee broke it out later in the game is because Spencer Miles on Friday, uh, and then their their lefty uh, Tony Newback Newback. Uh, they're they're solid, man. They're they're not great, but they're, they're really solid, and they they compete. Uh, and they they they're not afraid to attack you. They they were not afraid of the Tennessee lineup, and they were able to do some good things against Tennessee, and that's why you saw uh, the game be so close throughout the weekend. And then why Tennessee was able to to break those games open is because. The Missouri bullpen is absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. Couldn't throw strikes. Uh, when, when you're walking in, guys, with the bases loaded, you have a serious, serious problem. So uh, that that was kind of why the game was close, but also not close, is because their their starters came really impressed me, uh, specifically on Friday and Saturday, even Sunday. Uh, but the the difference between Tennessee and most teams right now is that Tennessee's bullpen was great. Missouri's bullpen was butt booty terrible. Missouri's bullpen gave up 15 runs on the weekend. (laughs) Off the top of your head, can you tell me without looking how many runs Tennessee's bullpen gave up on the weekend? Yep. Uh, Two. Two. Yep. You had one from Xander Seacrest on Friday nights and one run given up by uh, by Walsh on, on Sunday. And I would you know, you were leading right into what my thought process was as good as you know, Tennessee starting pitchers have been this year. I mean, the bullpen's been just as good. And on a weekend to where, especially on a Friday night to open a series, uh, you know, and you, you, you have to rely on your bullpen so much. I mean, tip of the cap to the bullpen. Um, that was a distinct advantage. I know there were a lot of advantages, you know, orange compared to Missouri uh, over the weekend, but the bullpen without a doubt was, you know, probably the biggest one in my opinion, because Tennessee's bullpen was incredible. You used, I mean, Burns only goes two and two thirds on Friday. You use what? Six more pitches, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, excuse me, seven more pitchers to get through Saturday. And a lot of times, you know, you're shot, right? I mean, you're shot for the weekend, but no, Tennessee has so much confidence in a lot of these guys. You run them out there and throw them for one inning or two-thirds of an inning. You can reset them on Sunday if you need them, sometimes even the next night on Saturday, and that's what Tennessee did with a couple of these guys. And, I mean, that that that, that was huge in my opinion. So, you're right. That bullpen for Missouri was trash. And another reason why Tennessee is just so good and deserving of that number one ranking in the country is because the bullpen, you have so many options. And, and two, on Friday night, I enjoy watching, you know, we talked about Ben Joyce and how he's been so impressive this all year long. He finally got into a game when Tennessee was down, right? I mean, it, you know, Tennessee needed Ben Joyce to obviously come in and pitch well, but it was a different type of situation for Ben Joyce because Tennessee wasn't up by eight runs, right? Uh, you got Blake Tidbull in there in a close game. Uh, on a Friday night, or I guess by that point, it wasn't really necessarily close, but you know what I'm saying. So that was great to see the bullpen step up and the bullpen do what it did, because I think the bullpen gets overshadowed because we talk about this lineup, home runs, these freshmen and Dolander in the middle of the weekend starts. We forget about the bullpen 
the bullpen's good, and they showed it this weekend. Yeah, the bullpen's not the sexy thing to talk about, but yeah. the, the bullpen is why Tennessee is the number one team in the country. Uh, obviously, the, the starters are, are the best part of the team. The, the lineup has done so much damage, uh, but the, the bullpen has been why they, they've been able to finish off several games uh, this season and, and maintain their 22-game winning streak. Pretty incredible. The, the, the lineup and the offense wasn't all that impressive this weekend, Kane, but what was impressive is that the, the bats did do damage when it mattered most. Obviously, they were able to overcome uh, early deficits on Friday and Saturday and come back and win both of those games. Uh, Luke Lipschius had a great game on Sunday with two home runs, two no-doubters, one off the batter's eye, one mm. into, into the parking lot <laughs> behind uh, right field. But uh, on Friday, when the bats were really struggling early, again, they were, they were able to, to strike when it mattered most. Uh, they scored two runs on three hits in the seventh inning. And, and when you add in those two runs in, in the seventh inning that gave Tennessee the lead, uh, they scored seven runs over the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth inning. So struggled early, but then seven runs over the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth inning, which is absolutely uh, huge. Uh, and here's the, the stats on when Tennessee trailed on Friday. Uh, it was the first time it had trailed. Uh, since it faced Rhode Island on March 13th. And then when it trailed at the end of the first inning, uh, it, it was the first time UT trailed following a complete inning since it trailed Texas after the sixth inning on March 4th. So just pretty, pretty remarkable. And how about Christian Scott? He deserves a shout out. He gets to start in left field on Friday and he continued to make things happen. He was able to make things happen against Vanderbilt last Sunday. He got the start yet again in the opener against Missouri, and all he did was proceed to go three for four with a double and a run scored, and he sparked that come comeback win. Uh, when Tennessee was trailing three to two in the bottom of the seventh, he hit a bloop single that he was able to stretch into a double because of his hustle and his speed, great recognition, uh, gr great base running, uh, Jarrell Ortega then proceeded to tie the game on a double that scored Scott from second, and then Cortland Lawson followed up Ortega and hit an RBI single to give Tennessee the lead, and, and Tennessee never looked back. So, Eric, I know you've been clamoring, out, clamoring about base running all season long, and, and rightfully so, but, again, Tennessee wants to be aggressive on the base paths, and that was an instance where it really helped them. Yeah, I mean, you give it, you take it, take it away, right? you got to take the good with the bad, and, I mean – this team is going to be aggressive on the base pass. We knew this, and a lot of times it it gets them, but you know sometimes it it you know sets you up in positions to go and steal some runs, and that's exactly kind of what uh, this incident was. So, I mean, I have no issue with being an aggressive base running team. I just think you know points in times you just got to use some common sense. And again, this is this is nitpicking, all right. I mean, it's it's hard to find weaknesses in a really good ball club. You know that, in my opinion, was one. But uh, as you pointed out, I mean, this isn't a situation to where you know it's it's beneficial for you uh that Rhode Island game I was I was covering that game so that's why they were losing I uh, wanted to throw that yes. in there also yes uh I didn't cover the Texas game though I wish I did though being in Houston that's awesome um we say his name all the time right 
Mike Concho, dude. I mean, he was he was great this weekend. Uh, Evan Russell was big time on Friday night to get some insurance. Huge mm-hmm. with that with that home run on Friday night. But three run um, homer. Yeah, three run home run um, was was fantastic. But Jordan Beck, man, what 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 a blast on Saturday night. That was that was massive for sure. And then the two, yeah, home runs continue to be a factor for Tennessee. Obviously, check the bats, right? Evan Russell's <laughs> big blast on Friday. Very tried. <laughs> the grand slam uh, with Jordan Beck uh, on Saturday. That was a part of that story. And then the two bones from Luke on Sunday. Um, it's, a, it's an exciting brand to watch right now. I, I thought it was ironic that Missouri on Sunday asked the umpire to check Trey Lipscomb's bat after he hit a can of corn that went foul into the seats behind the dugout on the first base side. Uh, yet, there was no bat check when Luke Mann for Missouri, who had two thunderous home runs <laughs> in Friday and Saturday's games, he hits a fly ball to the warning track that was nearly a three-run home run. And on that play, his bat broke in half. His bat broke in half, and he still nearly hit a three-run home run. Flew it to the warning track. I've never seen that before in my life. I thought that was pretty ironic, but I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jordan Beck, a.k.a. Mike Concho. I was about to mention him and uh, the the power that Tennessee displayed during Saturday's game. You you had the back-to-back-to-back home runs early in that game. Uh, the second inning gave Tennessee a 3-2 to two lead. Trey Lipscomb led off the inning with a solo home run. Jarrell Ortega hit a solo home run even further, it, and it was pretty funny Kane how Trey Lipscomb hit one over the porches Jarrell Ortega hit one a little bit further over the porches and then here comes Evan Russell back to back to back and he hit one even further than Trey Lipscomb and Jarrell Ortega he won up them all and they each tried to one up uh, one another as you and I apparently tried to do here on the podcast but uh, on that note too uh, I hope AP had his glove out there on the porch to go go catching those fly balls he was too busy covering the team uh, with Shumpert in, in the press box. But the funny thing about the back-to-back-to-back homers is that guess when the last time Tennessee did that was? Oh, you made a note of it. I saw. I want to say it was 2017. 19. Literally okay. three years ago to the day from, from 2019 to 2022. That's wild. hit back-to-back-to-back. I'm I'm about to make it even wilder. It was almost, almost in the same exact inning. Alric Solari, Zach Daniels, and Andre Lipschius did it in the first inning against Lipscomb on April 9th, 2019. Uh, again, that was the first inning. Tennessee's on Saturday was in the second inning. Would have been pretty hilarious and quite coincidental if both had been in the same inning. But also... Andre Lipsius was in the first trio that did it. What if Luke Lipsius had had been in the back-to-back-to-back home yep. run cycle on Saturday? Now, that would have been pretty wild. If, if it had been the same inning on the same day and a Lipsius was involved in both and they were different Lipsiuses, I, I just would have closed up shop and went home for the weekend, called it a day. <laughs> I See, I thought that's where you were going with that. I thought for sure you were going to say Andre was a part of the trio in 2019. It was Luke, you know. Um, it was close enough to where I felt it was worth mentioning. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that, that's a whole lot of fun. I mean, we, we had we had some fun excitement, uh, fun, exciting moments 
for baseball games. I mean, I know the back-to-back for Missouri, no Tennessee fan wants to see that, but I mean, Tennessee went back to back to back and then a grand slam. So uh, that that's a whole lot of fun. Um, Jared Dickey, he looked good. He did look good. And, Kyle and Booker. That's, that's he good to good. see. Yeah. Kyle Booker looked good as well. So trying to mask that left field spot, of course, you know, Stevens has played that a lot. Booker's been playing in there some, you know, Dickey is, uh, you know, been getting out there and, and doing pitch hitting and designated hitting here lately. But I thought it was really, really good to see Dickey swing the bat very well, uh, both Friday and Saturday. And, um, or I guess it was Friday and Sunday for sure. And I, I want to emphasize the Mike Concho grand slam. I, I thought Tony Vitello summarized it perfectly during the, the game or after the game, that is. Last year's team, you could sense when the big moment was coming. Evan Russell against Vanderbilt, uh, Max Ferguson against Arkansas, Drew Gilbert against LSU. Uh, Drew Gilbert against Wright State in in the playoffs or the playoffs uh, regional weekend. You could always sense when the big moment was coming. And that was the first time this season where you could sense the big moment coming. And that was Jordan Beck stepping to the plate, bases loaded. And he just absolutely teed off on a, I believe it was a fastball, just absolutely teed off on it. Uh, because they had thrown him a, a breaking ball that missed inside. And if you go back to Friday night, and this is according to Beck after the game on Saturday, he said Friday night they kept throwing him a bunch of breaking balls, kept spinning, breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball. And then on Saturday he felt like their game plan was to to spin a couple breaking balls at him to set up the, the fastball away, and they they did that except the fastball wasn't away. It was right down the middle, and Jordan Beck hit it to Gatlinburg. And the stadium absolutely erupted. It was a cool scene as is, baseball alone, but you also had Nico Ialmaliava in the stands with Carnell Tate, Kyler Casper, a ton of other Samoans and Lucas, other football recruits. Lucas Simmons, the Spillmans. Yes. There, there was a bunch of recruits in there. Second grand slam of the season. Do you remember who hit the first one? Mm, who hit the first one? It would be Trey Lipscomb. Did he hit a grand slam this year? Because if so, then there's been three. Uh, Drew Gilbert hit one way back in the uh, before before conference conference play started. I can't remember who it was against. I was at the game, but uh, he hit one, and it was one of those moments where everybody in the press box was saying, "He's about to go yard. He's going to go <laughs> yard. He's going to go yard." And sure enough, he went yard. So, um, just feeling those moments coming up again is, uh, you know, kind kind of what this team is all about. Absolutely. Uh, so the, the bats were, were somewhat quiet, not not their most impressive weekend, given what they have done to this point, uh, but but still a good weekend. You had some guys with big hits. Jarrell Ortega had some big hits. Cortland Lawson had some big hits. Obviously, the guys at the top of the lineup. Uh, and I, I know Luke Lipsius has his struggles against lefties, but I, I really don't feel like he gets enough appreciation for how good of a baseball player he is and how valuable he is. Uh, he, he hits for power, and he's really good against righties. Uh, again, I recognize his struggles against lefties, but uh, really great against righties, and he has turned himself into a great defender, and uh, that, that team loves him. And, and how about his celebration? If you want to call it that, 
or, or his uh his slide into home plate. Well, Again, it was if you uh, want to call it that. It, it that was a that was a viral video on TikTok or something, right? And I mean, I you know, because I've seen the video, and so you're just kind of waiting. It was from like, bench right. warmers, right? Yeah, oh, that's what it was. Yeah, but I, I also saw so some little leaguer do it too. Um, <laughs> and it, it was even funnier there. But you're just waiting, like, okay, when's this going to happen? And sure enough, the but arguably the smartest guy on the baseball team, definitely. The oldest guy on the baseball team is the one that does it. Um, and Tennessee just continues to feed into that mantra of being the the bad boys, the villains, and that's that's a role that they're fine with. I mean, they play to uh, you know, they play to the attitude and the expressions of their head coach. And Tony Vitello is even saying that he's adapting to them a little bit as well. So uh, that's the way Tennessee's always been under Tony Vitello, and they're not gonna change whatsoever, nor should they. Um Tennessee wants to talk the crap and, and showboat a little bit. Back it up. Tennessee's backed it up every single time they step foot on the diamond this year, and they'll continue to. So I loved it. I thought it was cool. I thought it was really, really funny. I did too. And I didn't think that there was any ill will um, in that touching of home plate. It was the, the catcher being in the way and him getting around and, and then having a little fun with it. I, I didn't have yeah. a problem with that at all speaking of this is totally random but speaking of uh funny baseball videos on, on tiktok I, I saw this on instagram uh, but have you seen the video of where it's little leaguers and the the kid is at plate and he nearly gets hit by a pitch and he has this fat little short stumpy teammate at second base and the kid hitting dives out like jumps out of the way and the short stumpy kid on second yells at him from second and says, "Let it hit you." <laughs> it's it's the most hilarious video. Y'all y'all have to go find that if you have not seen that. But a uh, very funny. Two more things that we need to mention, Kane, from the weekend. We mentioned Drew Beam, but just to expand on how good Drew Beam was yet again, uh, he allowed just two runs, improved to seven and zero on the season, led the Vols to the sweep. And this comes a week after throwing his complete game shutout against Vanderbilt through 95 pitches. 61 of those pitches were strikes, didn't allow a walk, and he struck out a career high seven. And he has now held opponents to two runs or fewer in his last four starts. So you had Drew Beam started off, and then you had Redmond Walsh finish it. Redmond secured the save, uh, save number five on the season but save number 21 for his career, and he now trails Todd Helton by two for most career saves at Tennessee. So on Sunday, Drew Beam, Redmond Walsh continue to do what they do. Walsh going to get it pretty soon, right? Uh, and that's anytime you take a record from Todd Helton, I mean, that's, that is a Major League Baseball great. Um, it's a guy that got over 52% in the Hall of Fame voting this past round. That's saying something. That's awesome. So um, I thought that was um, – I, I just – I think that's going to be a really, really cool thing when it does happen because it will happen this year for sure. And just what a weapon to have at the back end of your bullpen. Uh, Redmond Walsh has been great, the the local product. And, you know, Drew Bean, what more can you say about him? He's He's been fantastic. Um, you know, seven, seven strikeouts and no walks. You mentioned the two runs or fewer in each of his last four starts. Uh, you just continue. I'm much like you know, Chase Burns so far this season. He just continues to – be amazing every time he goes out there. And, and again, it, it's so 
it's so wild to me too because Beam hasn't played consistently in two years. It's just it's just crazy to me because of COVID and Tommy John surgery. So um, he's phenomenal, and I'll never forget Tony Vitello's first couple of weekends of the season. You know, he was like, "Hey, the way you guys are talking about uh, Burns and Dolanders, you know, be, put Beam in that conversation. He needs to be in that conversation because he will be as impressive um, as, as those guys here pretty soon." And sure enough, after that, he certainly has been. He hadn't looked back since. I mentioned the stats and accomplishments off the top of the pod that that Tennessee has tallied, uh, but it it just continues to <laughs> become even sillier when when you when you compile all of the accomplishments together. Uh, Tennessee Eric has now won eighty one of their last one hundred games. Eighty one of their last one hundred have been wins Not they bad. are 96 and 21 96 and 21 since the start of 2020 the covid season 96 and 21 since that covid canceled season started not bad not bad at all <laughs> not bad at all it certainly helps it certainly helps when you're 31 and 1 this year for sure so an undefeated in conference play been uh been very fun to watch looking ahead to the week tuesday night is going to be pretty fun pretty fun tennessee tech yeah. at smoky stadium 6 30 first pitch and uh they'll be using wood bats and i think it's pretty <laughs> ironic or hilarious whatever word you want to use that after the vanderbilt series jordan beck is like you can give us wood bats it, it wouldn't matter we, we still have a ton of firepower give us the wood bats it doesn't matter well let's jordan- see it here's your wood bats and they're not doing wood bats because Jordan said that, or because you've had the incidents with the bat. Uh, this has been in the works for a long time. And Tony even wanted to, to work it out to where they could do Rod Delmonico throwback unis just weren't able to get that done. Uh, but Tuesday night, Eric should be a, a really cool scene at, at Smokey stadium. Uh, I, w- I would imagine play Tidwell gets to throw and, and you'll see plenty of other pitchers and, uh, this was going to be when Tennessee and Tennessee Tech resumed the game that was suspended because of weather uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, they just decided to completely cancel that game. They're, they're going to play one game tomorrow night. That way that they don't have to worry about finishing that game, burning more arms with both teams being in conference play, so on and so forth. And uh, as we mentioned back when, Tennessee added a midweek game with Bellarmine. Bellarmine, is that how you say it? I think it's Bellarmine. Oh, whatever. The, the Either Bellers, or. Who cares? Who cares? Tennessee will kill them by 20. Uh, watch watch them win now. Uh, but that, that'll be next Tuesday when they come to town. But in the meantime, Tuesday should be a really, really cool scene at Smoky Stadium, as I imagine plenty of Tennessee fans will show up. Hey, do you know who's uh, doing the game with Packer? Do they ever decide on that? Okay, SEC Network Plus, ESPN app. It will be a it'll be a good production. So uh, looking forward to watching that. But that will be a whole lot of fun. Plus, you get to see Blake, uh, you get to see Blake Tidwell again, and as you mentioned, Giddy. likely starter for Tennessee looked really really good last week in the midweek start. Uh, gave up one hit, struck out four over two innings. Um, responded well after giving up a leadoff single in one of those innings. I think it was the second inning, struck out the side. So, you know, will he go two again? Will he maybe go three? We'll have to see. But uh, good environment, wooden bats, uh, stadium is beautiful. Hopefully the weather will be beautiful. Good broadcast. Looking forward to it. And then this weekend, a Alabama team 
that is sneaky good, in my opinion. I think they are a better version of Missouri. And what I mean when I say that is they can hit. They have some some pretty solid starting pitching. And their bullpen isn't as bad as Missouri's, but their bullpen has cost them some games this year. So uh, a, a better-looking version of Missouri, if, if that makes sense, will come to town this weekend. Uh, that should be a fun series. Uh, Tennessee, Alabama, obviously do not like each other unless you are Blake Tidwell, uh, but we will not dive into that conversation. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Alabama is an NCAA tournament team. That, that'll be a fun weekend at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And Eric, before we get out of here, I will encourage people to go on the front page of VolQuest.com, check out the short conversation that I had with Will Mabry. I've been joking with him the last week or so that he is the Michael Jordan of Tennessee baseball. And, and if you check out our short conversation, extra innings with Will Mabry, uh, you will see why. Had one up with Drew Beam last Monday. We'll have some up each of the next couple of Mondays throughout baseball season. Some some really fun conversations to talk a little bit about baseball, but kind of how they got to Tennessee, why they are where they are now, and, and a little bit about them off the field. So encourage you to check that out. And and I'll also have my three, two, one up on, on Tuesday as well, because Eric, there's been a lot of football content up on the site the last day or so. Yeah, I haven't listened to any of your extra innings, but I'm sure they're great. Same so way. go, go. No, I'm just kidding. I've listened to every single one of them. Thank you. Uh, they are great. And uh, that's really, really cool feature that we're doing at VolQuest.com. It really is. So if you haven't checked it out, go go and do it. Get to know these players. I remember when Tennessee basketball back in the 2017-18 year, it's whenever the fan base truly started falling in love with these players because they got to know the players' personalities on Roy Barnes' basketball team. You know, this is an excellent opportunity to get to know the Tennessee baseball players that are so good right now. Uh, but as far as football coverage, yeah, and spring practice wrap, wrapping up. I uh, had that second scrimmage on Saturday. Tons and tons of recruiting coverage, plus a, a Tennessee football commits on Monday around lunchtime. So all that and more at VolQuest.com. Eric, I hope you and your Braves have a great week, my friend. Thanks, buddy. I hope you're, you and your Yankees... Okay, I guess you guys do okay. You wish my team well. I got to wish your team well, I guess. Yeah, we've got uh, four games this week with the Blue Jays, so that'll be tough. Kind of nervous about that, at least at Yankee Stadium. I like, I'm excited. We talked about this earlier today. I'm excited to see that Blue Jays lineup and how it produces so far this season. So looking forward to that. He's Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. We'll be back with you all later this week as we preview Alabama. We'll have Roger Hoover who works with the Alabama Crimson Tide Sports Network. He'll be on the call this week because Alabama football has their spring game going on. So Chris Stewart, their main play-by-play guy, won't be making the trip. Hoover will take over for him, and Hoover will join us on the podcast later this week to preview Tennessee-Alabama. So again, he's Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. We hope you all have a great rest of your week.